Welcome to Forbes Podcasts. Hi, I'm Denise Ristari, and this is Mentoring Moments, a show where women you may never meet will become your mentors. Join me in my New York City apartment and tap into the conversations I'm having with fabulous women who are sharing their wait till you hear these stories. They're brutally honest stories about what they're dreaming about and what's keeping them up at night. We'll have a new episode every other Tuesday, and Mentoring Moments is part of the Forbes Podcast Network, produced by Fractal Recording. Christina Greer is a 37-year-old professor of political science at Fordham University. She's an author, and I featured her in my book, Their Roaring Thirties. Christina says that she never takes no from someone who can't tell her yes meaning that although it's sometimes easier for some people to say no, she'll push for her yes because she knows that she needs to stand up for herself to get what she wants. A 21-year-old female student told Christina that she appreciates that Christina is young, smart, black, fun, and unapologetic about it because it tells her that it's possible, and she can do it too. Christina says that life is a climbing of the steps. She keeps setting more goals until she gets to the next landing. Her title says professor, but what she really is, is a connector of people and ideas. And today, she's your mentor, sharing many of her stories, including why we all need to move at least once get robbed, and work on a political campaign. Chrissy, this is going to be so much fun. I just <laughs> love being with you. I loved when we would meet in mm. the past and when we were writing the book on their roaring oh, yeah. 30s mm-hmm. and all your stories. And I'm just, you have the best stories. You really do. <laughs> Last night I was saying to my husband, I'm so excited. I was like, I'm, I'm just like so excited because Chrissy's coming over and we're going to do this podcast and she has the best stories. And then I went through my, remember the story about this. So right. we're going to kick right into it okay. and right. ask you for your mental moment, that wow story, that story that's crazy, sane, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, but that story that changed your life? Well, I think, um, you know, you know, I'm a professor. And so I did not go to college to become a professor. Um, I thought I was going to be a theater major. And because of registration and everything else, I got the last registration number. And so I ended up in an intro to American politics course that I knew nothing about, but it was the only thing that was open. And my professor in that class has become a mentor of mine, and his name's Jim Glazer. He's now a dean at, at Tufts. But I thought, you know, at some point when theater wasn't really, not working out, but I just, I wasn't that interested in it as a profession, um, I decided to major in political science. And I was like, well, I guess I'll just, you know, I think I'll become a teacher. I'm from a long line of teachers. I think I'm a fourth generation teacher. And I told him that, and he was like, well, I think that's great, but I think you should think about a PhD. And from then on, I would stop by his office and we'd have these 
great conversations. When I look back on them, they were actually really important conversations, but they just seemed like, you know, shooting the breeze. And he told me that so much of becoming a professor is actually not teaching, which is my passion. And it's these solitary moments by yourself researching. And I mean, as you know me, I'm a chatty Cathy and I like being around people and he That's an understatement in a good way, in a good way. I just, you know, I, I feed off of energy, you know, like other people's energy gives me energy. And he said that that's actually, um, being with other people is a really small part of the profession. I mean, the vast majority of what I do is by myself, reading, writing in these solitary moments. So he suggested I write a senior honors thesis to see if I even liked the research aspect of it because it's, it's not for everyone. And I loved it because it's not me or I I didn't think it was me, but it's actually, it's just a different part of me that actually likes to be quiet and to be still and to be with my own thoughts in a way that at, you know, 20, I didn't think that I liked that per se. And I really had never given myself that time and space to just be quiet. And so I found that the research part of my life is in some ways meditative. It's reflective. It's difficult, definitely, to sit there with your own thoughts and try and create more thoughts. But I try and remember that, you know, at one point in time, it was illegal for me to know how to read. So now I get paid to read. (laughs) Like I get paid to teach the youth of America, which to me is fascinating. So through this one conversation in 1996, I've now become my own person who's a colleague of this man who just mentioned that maybe I should think about doing something other than what I initially thought I was going to do. And as you're taking that when you're meeting with younger women, let's mm. say you're meeting with a woman in her 20s, how does that play out in your advice to a younger woman? Yeah. Or to even myself, to an older woman. Yeah. Doesn't have to be a younger woman. I mean, I always use my grandmother's adage, which is, you know, free advice is how much you pay for it. So you can take it or leave it, you know, and this is not for me to sort of take a machete and carve your path for you. I'm just going to throw some things out there and hopefully it'll stick. Right. I mean, I think that's the, the beauty of mentorship and education. It's, it's sort of, you sow these seeds. You have no idea when they will blossom. Sometimes they'll be dormant for years, for a day, who knows, right? I mean, that's the great thing about teaching. Um, So when I talk to young women, especially, you know, who are just like, wow, I can't believe, you know, you've done X, Y, and Z. And so I'm just honest, you know, I'm honest about how it happened. And I think a lot of people want to say like, oh, it just, I don't know, it just happened. And one day I looked up and I have this beautiful apartment and, you know, this great job and who knows? It's like, no, no, no. Here's what happened. I was broke as hell. Like when I was in graduate school, I made $15,000. My rent was $750. I ate ramen every day. I worked my butt off and like, here's how you can do it. You know, and it's like, I was jealous of people who had jobs and had real money and I didn't. And all of the emotions that I went through, I'm just honest about them so that, you know, I was like, I made an investment in myself. It wasn't even a gamble because I knew that it was going to work out. So like, this is the investment, you know, it's like medicine going down. It tastes bad at the time, but you feel much better afterwards. And so I think demystifying the process, even though it's going to be their own individual journey, helping to sort of uh, pull back the curtain just a little bit 
and help people see like it's I didn't wake up with you know a face full of makeup and hair done and clothes you know it's like I shopped at the thrift store like I made sacrifices and helping them see that you know all of us who've gotten to the top it's like someone has pulled us up at some point in time and you must do the same so whenever I take people out for lunch or or dinner you know, of course, they're so thankful and, oh my gosh, I'll never be able to repay you. I'm like, oh no, I will cash in. And they're like, well, you know, like their eyes get big, like, uh-oh, like what have I gotten myself into? And I'm like, when I cash in, what cashing in looks like is that when you make it to wherever you want to make it, I will probably call you and say, I have a young woman here with me who needs to talk to you about X, Y, or Z. That is the check that I'm going to come and cash. And knock on wood, every single person that I've mentored or helped in some way, shape or form. When I call them and I say, I have someone else that I need you to talk to. They're just like, whatever you need. And so now I'm creating this network of, which is great. This is great. You know, people where it's like, I'm a hub, not a spoke. And I really, I sat with myself maybe about a year or two ago. And it just came to me like a moment of like agnorisis, you know, sort of that moment that Oedipus has when he realizes, you know, he's like, married his mother and killed his father. But like that that sort of flash of lightning where it's like, I realize I am on this planet to connect people. I was having one of those moments of like, what am I doing? You know, there's the pre-tenure moment we've talked about. And I was like, what is my life supposed to be? I don't really know. You know, it's like I wrote this book. It's nice. It's interesting. People like it. But that's not who I am at the core. And at the core, I realized I connect people. So I connect people across geographic space, across race, across gender, across age, especially. But, you know, there's no point in being at the top of the mountain if you're there by yourself. Right. And that's so interesting because I feel I've come to that realization about myself in the past couple of years as well. When and I'm much older than you, so you're 38. I'm in my early 60s. I'm not 38 yet. I got two more days. That's right. That's right. On Wednesday, (laughs) you'll be 38. But it's it really hit me that I'm really here to amplify the voices mm-hmm. of women and through that connecting women, whether it's a direct connection, which often it is, it's like saying, okay, Chrissy, I'm going to connect you to this person right. or it's the indirect connection of I'm connecting you through the podcast or through the Forbes mm-hmm. post. But what I find so interesting is women will say to me all the time, this is so great that you are connecting us and thank you for connecting us. But they are also have the ability to connect, mm-hmm. and they don't. Well, see, that's the thing that I don't understand. Because, you know, I have lots of parties, and I like to bring people together. And, you know, my when I say parties, I have everything from, you know, certain parties where it's like champagne and a full spread to when I was in graduate school. It's like, I have tuna fish and crackers, and it's a party. And people are like, oh, my gosh, this is fantastic. And it's like, it, like why don't people connect? I don't understand when I was at Smith, I taught at Smith, I was on a fellowship for three years, and I would just have people over to my rinky-dink grad grad apartment, you know, with like a two-buck chuck bottle of wine and, you know, like whatever Trader Joe's food I had in the cupboard. Not a planned party, just, you know, it's after work, come on over after the gym, whatever it may be. And then when I left, no one got together. It's like, I don't. I don't have to be there. Right. The whole point of me introducing you to someone else is so that you can then make that connection. And I think that so many people are, are really busy, and I understand that, as am I. But I think if they realized 
spending just even 30 minutes with someone, especially other women. I really think that women need to spend time with women. Like, I agree. You know, I'm, I went to an all-girls school up into a certain age. I have a sister. My sister, my mother, and I are very close. Um, there is something about women spending time with other women that just... I was never raised where, you know, in a competitive environment where, you know, you're supposed to just, you know, compete with other women. Like, that to me is absurd. Um, but it's so real. It is real. But, you know, I feel like when I when I meet women like that, I always have to remind myself, uh, one, you know, envy and jealousy and all these unfortunate negative byproducts have nothing to do with me. It's only about how you feel about yourself and what you don't have. It's not about what I have. It's about what you feel you don't have, right? Um, But more often than not, I just feel like I've been able to surround myself with women who like, even if they initially started off that way, it's, you know, it's like, drop the pretenses, girl. Like, <laughs> nobody has, no one has time, time for that. I agree. Like, life is crazy enough. Like, we don't need all this. Right. And I, it's hard because sometimes the more honest I am, the more people think that that's a pretense, right? And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, right. it's hard. I'm not perfect. And it's like, oh, so that's part of Right. The, that's your that's persona. That's right. You know? And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, for real. It's right. hard. <laughs> like, it, it is like, hard. It's hard. You know? So I want to go, there's something as I'm, as we're talking here and I'm remembering back to when we did the book and I asked, I said to you, you have the greatest quotes. And I said, what's one of your favorite quotes to tell your student that you tell your students? Uh And you said that you tell them that at least once in your life. Yes. Right. Okay. (laughs) That you need to be robbed. Yes. That you need to move. Yes. And that you need to work on a political campaign. Yes, indeed. And we never got into that. <laughs> so let's go through them. Why okay. do you have to move? Why should you be robbed? And why okay. should you work on a political campaign? So let's go in that order. So you need to be robbed. I'm not saying at gunpoint, you know, right? but I think everyone needs to walk into their home at least one time and say, what has happened to my shit? Right. Right. Like, where is my stuff? And to me, at least, you know, we were robbed when we lived in New York in the 80s. So obviously that's just par for the course of the 80s. Um, and then we lived in Philadelphia in a beautiful neighborhood called Mount Airy. But, you know, like it was the late 80s, right? <laughs> so it's like, hey, things pop off. Um, but, you know, to come home and your stereo is gone, your TV has gone, you know, a, one of our robberies, they like ransacked things. And it's traumatic, but it's like it's stuff. So it puts it in perspective of what's important stuff. in your life. Yeah. Like, and you can do without the stuff, you know, it's sort of like when the lights go out during a storm and you have a great time by candlelight, right. you know, and then it's like, then you forget that you had a great time by candlelight. Um, so, you know, for me, it's just, it's helpful to remember that this is all material stuff and the real relationships are the people. Um, I think you need to move just because of comfort zone and complacency and being a new person is it teaches you a lot about other people, but more importantly, it teaches you about yourself. Um, so, you know, I've moved quite a few times, obviously in my life, uh, before I went to college and even after. And I, I firmly believe that like you can make new friends no matter what age, you know, certain people feel like after college, it's like no new friends. Like that's, I just made a new friend last week. This woman who's fantastic. I was dropping my niece off at camp and she was dropping her daughter off. And you know, now we're chit chatting on text every day. Um, so 
that's been that to me is the the second piece that we all need to move and just kind of shake it up just a little bit. And then the third piece is to work on a political campaign to just see the rigor of it, but also to see that these candidates are human beings and they're not perfect and they make promises. Many people who do run for office are very earnest and they want to do better and they want to provide particular services for particular people. But I I have students who've worked on campaigns and they usually end up so confused afterwards because they see how the, they see how the sausage gets made and it's not pretty. They see sort of the same speech given to very different communities with emphases on different parts of the speech, but how can you make promises to all these different people? Why is it that, you know, fundraising is such a big deal? It's a fast pace. Why, you know, why does negative campaigning have to always come into the picture, even when people swear that they won't do it? So I think it's really important for people to see it up close because it also inspires some people to one day think about running themselves because they don't necessarily believe in the candidate that they initially believed in. And it's a hard, it's a hard and ugly job. I don't understand why anyone would run for president to try and connect <laughs> this huge nation. But I mean, it's admirable, right? It's, it's beyond difficult. I, I can't wrap my brain around it, but you know, I'm always encouraging my students, especially my female students to run for office and to see just up close, just how hard it is. Um, so that there, you know, when, when it comes to female candidates, I mean, there will be comments about your body and your hair. And if you have kids, if you don't have kids, you know, if your kids are too young, why are you running? Right. right? Like questions you'd never ask a man. Um, if you don't have kids, do you hate children and education? Like how could you be an advocate for education if you don't have kids? I mean, all of these ridiculous questions that come up, especially with female candidates, it's important for people to see that process it and then still have the courage to dip their toe in the, in the pond. And are you seeing that your students are saying, I think I want, I would like to run for pot like oh, yeah. or are they like no. the, the fingers up and saying, no, not me. Well, so I always take up a, a survey the very first day of class. How many of you are thinking about running for office? Uh, and it's usually about four white males who raise their hands. And I'm like, okay, obviously, because you're told your whole life that yes, of course you should run, right? Like, of course you should be the leader. Um, and so I say that. And I'm very clear about why is it that, you know, the people of color in the classroom aren't raising their hands? Why is it the women, you know, in my department, we have about 70% of the majors are women. So why is it that you all aren't thinking about running? And so what I've started to do, which has been very helpful, is that uh, as I identify the strengths of particular students, I call them by the state that they're from. So if you're from Jersey, I would just say, well, Senator Restori says blah, blah, blah. And if I just call you Senator or Governor, you know, the entire semester, it's, it's basically like subliminal branding. So I had a student who's now my research assistant. We actually ended up writing an op-ed for the Washington Post and she did the research. But when I first met her her freshman year, she's quiet from Vermont and I just kept calling her Governor. I just saw it. Like I, I fundamentally believe she will be the governor of of Vermont one day. And so it's like, well, what does the governor of Vermont think? And so she would just say things. And so now she's actually thinking about running. And when I was at MSNBC, I bumped into Howard Dean and I told him, I was like, listen, there's someone from your state who I think should be governor. I just, I see it. She's 18, but like, 
I think she'll be a fantastic governor. Just really thoughtful, more mature than your average college student. And he wrote a note. He just took out a scrap of paper and he said, uh, you know, from one governor to the next or something like that. Oh, that's great. You know, and he signed it. And so I gave it to her and she's like, what is, you know, she obviously knew who Howard Dean was. Um, and she was like, what is this? And I was like, he thinks you should be governor, as do I. And so now, you know, at the end of class, at the end of the semester, when I say, how many of you are thinking about running for office, her hand is up. That's great. Because it's like, yeah, well, I guess I have to be governor now. It's like, okay, well, I guess you have to be governor. And so, you know, my, my joke with a lot of my students is that, you know, when you become governor or senator or whatever, I just, I just want, you know tickets to whatever inaugural balls and you basically have to just take all my students to be interns. Well, there you go. Mm -hmm. when I find this really interesting. Your first, your mentoring moment was really about somebody seeing something in you that you didn't see in yourself mm -hmm. and planting that thought, mm -hmm. not telling you so much to go do. And in a way, yes, but not saying you have to do this or, right. but really planting that thought that you can do this. Yes. And that's what you're doing now, right? You're saying, and by by calling them senator or, or giving her the note about being governor, you're planning that thought that you can be something different or something bigger right. than you ever thought you can be. And right. I think as women, men, all of us, that is one of the reasons we're here is to help right. people. See, people send me all the time, when you mentor, aren't you, when you tell people what to do, and I'm like, no, 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 wait, stop there. I never tell people what to do. Right. I tell them stories about right. my past mm -hmm. that will help them because I don't know what they should do. Now, if they're doing something really stupid or dangerous, right. of yeah. course, I'm going to say, don't do that. I mean, you're really headed for disaster. But it's all about planting the seed. I mean, so here's, right. here's one of my favorite mentoring moments that I didn't realize that I was being a mentor in the way that I, that I was, but I have a Republic, I have lots of Republican students who take a lot of my classes. You know, I'm, when I'm in the classroom, I'm very critical of both parties, just so people can see the pros and cons of both parties. You know, nothing is black and white, and, you know, they're not all good or all evil. And really trying to create moments where we can have a dialogue between Democrats and Republicans to sort of help bridge some of this nonsense that we're seeing. So I, I have a Republican student who took quite a few of my classes, very smart, wrote her letters of recommendation for law school, ended up getting into law school. And she wrote me a card, which is like the great thing at the end of the, you know, the school year, I get all these notes that I keep. And, uh, she knew I loved Hamilton and she'd seen it. I've seen it. And she bought me the Ron Chernow book for, uh, Alexander Hamilton. And the card though, which is, you know, better, obviously better than the book said, when I first started college, I was told by her family, um, that I should marry a lawyer. And she was like, and then I took all of your classes, and now I realize I'm supposed to be the lawyer. Like That's great. I'm supposed to be, like, I can do anything. And she's like, I didn't think that before I met you. And so she's like, that's my takeaway, you know? And I was like, wow, I had no, like, I didn't know that her parents had basically said, you know, you're pretty, you should, you go to college right. to get an MRS, right? Not a BA and definitely not a JD. And she was like, but now I realize, like, I don't. I'll get an MRS if I get an MRS, but like I'm getting a JD. And I think that's just, I don't know. I think, you know, sometimes we don't realize what people see in us either. You know, 
if we're being mentors right, right. and we're, we're planting the seeds, I take that job very seriously, but also the little things like when I ask my students, you know, what's the takeaway at the end of class? Sometimes I'll write on the board, like, you know, what do you, don't look at your notes, just tell me what you learned today. And half the time, it's not about <laughs> the lecture slides. It's some throwaway comment that I've made that to me is a throwaway comment. I'm just kind of, I'm up there performing for an hour and 15 minutes, trying to keep you awake at, at 8.30 right. in the morning, you know? But it's something about, you know, I'll say something about, oh, I don't know, like, trust yourself. You know, it's like, you've got good instincts, trust yourself. So, blah, 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 blah. And then it's like, so what did we learn today? And I'm thinking they're going to say something about the Federalist Papers. Like, they, we should trust ourselves. <laughs> like, right. I was just randomly saying that. But I have actually um, started saying, as I give out exams... You know, lots of people freak out about in-class exams. I've started saying, you know this information. You're going to do incredibly well on this exam. I need you just to read it. Take your time. I'm not here to set you up. This is something, it's just a continuation of a conversation that we've been having for weeks. So you actually know everything that is already on this page. You just need to relax and tell me what you know. Because right. you know it. And ever since I started sort of being very deliberate before I even hand out the exam by saying that and sort of trying to look at each of them in the eye and say, like, you know this. So it's just settle down. I'm right here. I'm obviously not going to tell you anything, but I'm like, I'm right here. We are just, it's another day of class. Just today, we're going to have quiet reflection. We just kind of write down what we've talked about. I find that when I, when I've started to do that, the overall grade of the class is so much higher. Like, it's just, people are like, yeah, I got it. I know what I'm doing. And it's it's just like that, that tiny statement. Right. I tell young women all the time when they go on stage, mm -hmm. no one wants to see you fail. Yeah. Because they're all, we all are not, not all, but most of us are, right? You get on stage and you do have mm -hmm. that adrenaline rush. Mm -hmm. Even if you're good on stage, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. still have that moment of mm -hmm. the butterflies. And it's a moment you don't want to ever lose because you lose your edge a little exactly. when you're up there. And it gets better over time. You realize you can manage it. But for a lot of young women who are asked to a stage that's a huge stage, their mm -hmm. first time on that big mm -hmm. stage, and they go in with, how am I not going to fail? Right. And I always say, no one wants Nobody. to see you yeah. fail. I mean, just think about it. Everyone is here that has paid or mm -hmm. has made the time to get here. They want to be inspired. Mm -hmm. They want to learn. They don't want to see you fail. This is not the circus. Mm -hmm. This is not like where we're waiting for the moment for somebody to fall off right. the wire. This is like they want to see you succeed. And I think that's what you're saying, too, is yeah. that when people know that you're not saying, I'm going to make this test so hard so mm -hmm. you'll fail, it's you're smart. You can yeah, do this. You can rise and to the occasion. And I think we all need that. We all, I mean, I needed days to say, you're, you're good at this. Right. You can do this. You can, be, you can be the best you can be, and you're just going to excel. Because you do go into that interfere sometimes mm -hmm. of how am I going to do this. And when you were talking about telling stories and how meaningful they are, it reminded me of I used to tell this story just as a conversation with some of the young women that I'm, that I'm not even, you know, I'm mentoring, talking to. And it would be that the craziest person in the relationship rules the relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you think about that, right, whether it's work, when you think about, 
I'm not going to say such and such to so-and-so mm-hmm. because they are so crazy and they'll run to the boss and then the boss will get upset right. with me because he or she had to deal with that person. So I'm not going to say anything. And if you're in a personal relationship, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Right. Okay. I'm going to do this. I'm going to tiptoe around that because he or she will just go off and I don't want to deal with that. Right. And so I would tell that story just as one of those so-so stories. Right. And then it kept coming back to me. And that's when I realized like you had your moment of... That sometimes the stories you tell that you're not, because I'm telling other stories I'm telling with intent. Yeah. That story was just kind of one of those crazy stories about one of the things that life I've learned mm-hmm. are crazy people. And it would keep coming back to me and saying, somebody would say, I told so-and-so your crazy person's story, mm-hmm. that the craziest person in the relationship rules. So my version of that is um, never try to match crazy with crazy. If you don't engage with crazy. Right. It's not a two-way street. It's just, it sometimes just dies on the vine. So every now and again, I'll get like an obscene, crazy email from a student and I just put it in a file. Like, That's good. We're not equals. Why right. would I write you back? I like that. Right. <laughs> Why would I try right. and match your crazy? Because then I have to, now, now I have to be right. inappropriate. So it's like, no, ab- absolutely not. But going back to building on what you were just saying, I, I went to an all-women's event for Higher Heights. It's um, a political organization that tries to promote and get black women to run and to get black women elected in offices across the country, low level offices, high office, Senate campaigns, whatever it may be. Um, and one of their first meetings was maybe 50 black women in a, in a room in sort of like small groups, focus groups. And we're talking about politics. Obviously all of us care about politics and the political process in some way, shape or form. And there's a woman who was in my group who just, I mean, worked a nerve. And you can tell, like, I could, my physical body was just on fire every time she spoke. You know, it was just sort of I, 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 me, me, me. And I couldn't hide it. You know, it was, it was just so much. And this woman leans over and taps me on the shoulder and, you know, we had only said hello and a few greetings. You know, we were not close friends. We've actually since become close friends because of this moment. But she taps me on the shoulder and she says, just try to remember she's coming from a good place, not a place of malice. It's just who she is. And I sort of looked at the woman and realized all this me, 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 I, I, I was actually, wasn't horrible. It's just... And she didn't mean ill by it. That's just who she was. And I had to just readjust just a little bit. And in that moment, I readjusted just a little bit. And I could actually hear what she was saying through the me, 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 I, I, I. And I I turned to this woman and I said, thank you so Like, this moment was about to ruin my entire evening with all these amazing women. Just focusing on this one particular woman that I just wasn't really vibing with initially. And the minute I was sort of called, you know, it was called to my attention that actually she, she means well. It's just, it's in a package that, you know, just needs a little bit of tweaking. It was the, one of the best nights ever. And the great thing, at least for me, which was freeing, and I think I may have mentioned this to you before, was that when they convened us all together as a huge group, they said, you know, we don't have to be best friends. We all care about something in common, and we're going to have different roads to get to that point in that moment. 
but we actually don't have to be best friends on the journey to do it. If some of you become friends or best friends, that's fantastic. And like, that's a wonderful byproduct, but that's not the reason why we're assembled here today. And for me, it just took off all this pressure to become best friends with 50 women in a room. And it's like, oh, some of you I actually will connect with on a deep and meaningful level. And others, I'll see you, we'll work on a project or a goal together, and then we'll keep it moving. And that's that. And so to me, that was just liberating, where I can meet women, we can work toward a common goal, we can share space, we can share time, we can share energy. And then that's just what it is. You know, and some of us will become like us where we have dinners and lunches and hee hees and, you know, it's fantastic and I love it. And then others, you meet people and it's like, it's been great. Thanks so much. And I'll see you when I see you. And we have to, we're going to close off in a couple. I could go on forever and ever. Is there anything else that you wanted and any other mentoring moment? And I can think of a lot that you've shared with me in the past about prepping the clay. Yeah. Well, you know, I like, um... I like to keep mentors two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen 12, 14 years older than me um, or ahead of me per se. They don't always have to be older than me in age, but just if I'm thinking about something, you know, sometimes people put a lot of pressure on themselves to like, I need to find a mentor. So many people, you know, call me up. It's like, I need a mentor. And I'm like, mentorship is actually really just about relationships. So if you see someone who's doing something, you know, just cultivate that relationship in a meaningful way and then you'll get truth and honesty and, and a clearer path. So I think for me, I always try and look at, you know, people whose lives, either professionally or personally, that I admire and really make sure that I make time for those relationships so that I can actually learn something. Because most mentors aren't, you know, in an ironclad contract, like, I'm now officially your mentor. You know, right. it's like... Eh. And sometimes I think mentorship takes on the role of... It's a few minutes. It can go on for hours. Yeah. There's a woman who's a professor at USC. Uh, her name's Jane John, and she's she's just one of the greatest women in the profession. But, I mean, she's a mentor of mine, but our relationship started out where every time we were at a conference, she just made time for coffee. And now that I, you know, I would see that she's like, okay, well, we've got 30 minutes because I'm going to meet Denise after this, and then I'm going to meet so-and-so. And... She always makes time for these younger graduate students who are dealing with, I mean, you know, I mean, runs the gamut, sexual harassment, you know, vinegar out, the dissertation, I mean, intellectual, personal, whatever it may be. And now I find myself at these conferences and we always make time, no matter what, even if it's like a 7 a.m. breakfast someplace, you know, slightly away from the conference hotel so we can speak and laugh and, you know, be free. But I now find myself having breakfast with her and then saying, you know what, Jane, I got to run because I've got an eight o'clock with a, you know, a graduate student. I've got an eight 30 with someone who just finished her, you know, her PhD and she's looking for a job. I mean, so now I'm, I also have my list of lunches and breakfasts that I've got to go to. Um, and you know, for her, she never explicitly said it, but it was basically, I'm taking this time to invest in you. Hopefully you'll do the same with someone else. And I explicitly say, you know, when people are like, I can't thank you enough. I'm like, yes, you can thank me later on because I'm treating you to breakfast or lunch and you will never pay because I'm the older scholar. But I'm asking you to do the same when someone else is at this conference and they don't know 
what the path looks like. Right, and that's just, that is just huge, I think, for women. And I want to end on this story because it's one of my favorite stories of yours, of prepping the clay. Prepping the clay. So we'll end with that story because I want everyone <laughs> to, to hear this story because I tell it all the time. Okay, so when I was at Tufts, I took a course at the Museum of Fine Arts uh, with a master potter from Japan. And, you know, when you make pottery, you have to prep the clay. And so the first 30 minutes of the class was kneading the clay and getting all the oxygen out of it. And you know, there's a lot of chemistry in pottery. Um, and I hated that part. I hated. it. I just wanted to get there and build, you know, and hand build. I was never really one for the wheel. I like to just make these miscellaneous bowls that my parents still have. Um, and I would complain and complain. And finally, the professor one day says, that's okay. You don't have to prep the clay. It's like, just get in here, start building, start, start making your bowls and your pots. And I had, you know, it's a three hour class. So because I didn't have to prep the clay, I had all three hours and I, I made so many beautiful bowls and plates and I, you know, put in all of my dyes and I had colors and, you know, I had my little notes where, you know, this one's going to be a green plate and blah, blah, blah. And uh, at the end of each class, you know, he'd put everything in the kiln for us and we'd come back the next week and he'd have everything, you know, dried and on a shelf. And I came back the next week and it was just shards of clay, just crumpled piles of nothing, colored nothing. <laughs> and, you know, so it exploded. It, it, it all exploded. I mean, there was, there was no bowl. There was no plate. There was nothing that I could use. And I looked at it and I was so disappointed because the colors were epic. And he said, this is what happens when you don't prep your clay. There's way too much oxygen in there and it all exploded when it was in the kiln. And the time that you put in for preparation is, is necessary. It's not just, you know, it's a nice thing to do or it's important, but it's like, unless you do it, you don't get the result. You will not get the result. It is impossible to get a result. And so for me, really thinking, you know, expanding that story and really thinking about all the different types of preparation we put into something when we just want to like jump in and do it. Right. When lots of people are like, yeah, I just, I want to write a book. And it's like, really? That's what I said last week. Right. <laughs> but you know, it's like, even, even you writing the book about the roaring thirties, it's like the, the attention to detail and the level of research that you put into all of us before you even put pen to paper or fingers to key, keyboard, I guess, nowadays, you know, is, is the preparation. And so I think my, you know, what I always tell my students, what worries me about this particular generation is that they all have this, not all, I should not say all, many have this sense of urgency where they want to just get in and start building. You know, they want to be the CEO. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, you have to prep the clay. Like, you have to have some sort of foundation. If not, it all explodes. To add on to that is, as women, a lot of times, we want other women to have to go through, not the prep, because the mm -hmm. prep is extremely important. Mm -hmm. I agree with you 100%. But we want them to have to have the hardships that we had right. to go through. Right. And there's a big difference between that, yeah. between prepping and hazing. Yes, exactly. It is hazing. And this mm -hmm. is not, we're not in college. This is not hazing. Right. And we need to move on. And as women, we need to say, you need to prep, you need to get your act together right. 
And, but that doesn't mean that you have to go through the same hardships. Right. We need to move each other forward. Right. And I'm going to hold your hand because I just adore you and I'm so happy you're here. I'm, I'm so, so happy, happy to you're be here. here. I love spending Thank time you. with you. Thank you. So we're having a girl moment. Yes. A girl moment. <laughs> and we will always support each other. Always. There's a, always. Live forever and ever. Yes. Forever and ever. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening, and please rate, review, and subscribe so you can get Mentoring Moments delivered to you instantly the moment it's released. And there's a series of Mentoring Moments on Forbes.com for you to read and share. You'll find the link on my show notes. You just enjoyed a Forbes podcast. To learn more about our other shows, visit Forbes.com slash podcasts. Thank you.